Thanks, Justin. Good morning. God bless you and thank you for your giving. I trust your Christmas was fantastic and that your New Year's week will be just as wonderful. Now, I want to talk to you about 2020 and where we believe the Lord has given us a focus. Um, I want to mention a couple of other things before we get into this. I need to ex explain this to you. We are committed to the idea of expositional, exegetical preaching. We, we don't believe that preaching ought to be based on flowery images or even prophetic words. We don't believe that preaching ought to be based on some story that laces a verse here and a verse there together. We believe that Christian churches grow by the exposition of Scripture coupled with the passion of the Holy Spirit. But we also do believe that there are times, it was true in the New Testament, that Agabus showed up. There were times that the direction of the church was given to a prophetic word, and that wasn't to negate the, the exposition of Scripture. Um, so, we're going to have a message today that's focused on what I believe is a prophetic direction, but I want you to understand that our commitment is to exposition of Scripture, but every now and then we have what I call an Agabus moment, where we believe that God has given us a prophetic word, and that's where we want to focus today. Um, while you're getting your offering given and while you're getting settled, let me remind you about the Psalms book. I encourage you to, to get that as we finished up the life of David. Uh, there are several copies, plenty of copies still in the bookstore. We begin building Godly Generations next week. Thank you for allowing me to share an update for the 16th and 23rd, uh, the celebration of life. Let me tell you two more things that are going to change next week. It's, it's not earth shattering. It, it won't make you go out and change your will or anything like that. But um, we're going to take a break from life notes for a year. Uh, the life notes that you have I've done this year has been on church history. And uh, by the way, that's going to be edited. It's going to be in book form in a few weeks. Um, I've certainly enjoyed doing that. But uh, we're going to continue, you know, the prayer call and things like that. But the life notes, we want to do something different for a year. Every week, we just want to give you um, a card, like a postcard that has a significant prayer, a significant verse, artwork, whatever it is. We just want you to be able to have, uh, so we call it refrigerator ministry, something you can either put in your Bible or you can put on the refrigerator. It's just a, a, a note of encouragement, a verse, a saying, a prayer a statement, something of encouragement. That's going to begin next week. And um, it, toward the end of January, uh, I'm going to start the Wednesday night series on the Apostles' Creed. I feel like it is important to us to stay rooted to our past in the right way, to keep our roots going deep into the apostolic church and we just want to be sure that we are putting in our culture and in the hearts of our children uh, apostolic language. So we want to do just a couple of things through the year, see how they go. And, and uh, for instance, beginning next week, we want to take 30 seconds every Sunday and ask the congregation to let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. That's what it was designed for, for congregational praying we, we, uh, we want to be able to, uh, we don't want to live in the past, but we want to be sure that our next generation understands the past and why creeds are important and why doctrine is important. We've, we've seen what happens to the church over the past 25, 30 years when many churches say that doctrine's not important. And what we've come up with in many circles is a church that knows nothing of doctrine and they, they, they don't believe that there is a sure word delivered to the church. So we just want to be sure that we are, we are making our, our children bilingual. And the best way to do that, I think, is to infiltrate our services with it. So it's going to be a great time. But let's look at the 2020 focus, which will be building godly generations. I, was, I didn't know if it might be up yet. It'll be up pretty soon, though, with our... our um, our graphic about building godly generations. I'm going to try to talk and not get carried away because everything I want to mention to you, I'm going to preach about later. 
And I asked the Lord several times this morning to help me not get into next month's sermon to just point away today. But I want to encourage you, don't leave 2020 to chance. Don't leave 2020 to chance. This is going to be a year of unusual opportunity. I believe this as surely as I'm sitting here. This time last year, I told you that the Lord had spoken to me. 2018 had been a tough year. And the Lord had spoken to me that 2019 would be a continuation of 2018. I said it would be like moving from Matthew 4, I mean uh, from Mark 4 into Mark 5. Uh, deliverances occurred, but new challenges were right there. And I can't tell you, it seems almost every week somebody says, boy, you were right about 2019. It's been as tough as 2018. How many weeks is it till 2020? And do you think it'll change? I want to tell you 2020, I believe, will have a new look to it. I don't want to tell you that 2020 is going to be a year with no challenges or no difficulty, but 2020, I believe, is a year that has a new look to it. And I believe that while we will still have challenges, I believe that God is speaking into the hearts of His people a promise for abundance and blessing in 2020 that's almost hard for us to take. You say, what do you mean hard for us to take? I can show you my journal from this last month. It's almost full, almost come to the end of the month. But I can show you a page. And I try to write neatly. I try to write very precisely. Um, I want my children to have those journals when I'm gone. And I try to do it where I'm sure they can make sense of it. And there's one page that it is just, it's, it's like Dorothy has been transported to Oz by a tornado. It's just awful with blockouts and scratches. It's horrible. It looks like a third grader wrote. And it took me four times to write down the promise the Lord put in my heart. Four times to write down the promise. Three times I started and I had to scratch out. You say, why? Because I thought what I heard the Lord say was so presumptuous. I thought it was too good to be true. So I wanted to cover for the Lord and I didn't want him to over-obligate himself. <laughs> so I wrote a modified version. And guys, I can't tell you, I'm sitting there writing, and the Lord says, that's not what I said. And, and I, I wrote again, and the Lord said, that's not what I said. And I'm, I'm getting bold, you know, I'm kind of like Peter on the, the seashore, you know, lovest thou me? And I said, Lord, but I think this is what you meant. And so I scratch that out. I write a third time. And the Lord said, that is not what I told you. That's not the promise that I gave you. And I remembered thinking, I don't have faith for that promise. And I am trying to make myself look good. I am trying to make the Lord look good. And the Lord said, we can forget this promise or you can write it down the way I gave it to you. And I wrote it out word for word the way he gave it to me, knowing that a prophetic word's not equal to God's scripture. I know that, but I wrote it down word for word. And after three cross outs, after three attempts to make it easy for the Lord, after three attempts to accommodate my lack of faith, I finally wrote down what God said. And then he said, now this is what I've promised you. I think it's going to be that kind of year. The verse the Lord gave me is a verse that I was celebrating his faithfulness for this year. But he said, this is going to be the verse that you carry forward into 2020. And it was from Psalm 6511. New American Standard Bible says this, you have crowned the year with your bounty and your paths drip with fatness. Oh, there's that beautiful um, King James NASB language that is so poetical and so beautiful. I thought that it was in reference to 2019. And God said, you can praise me for my faithfulness this year, but this is for 2020. And I thought, what does paths dripping with fatness means? To me, I'm envisioning a Royal Ranger camp out where bacon grease is sliding over the side. And that's not what it means. Um, the New Living Translation, which is not always the best word for word 
or even idea for idea translation, but is a good one. It's, it's New Living Translation is much better than the Old Living Bible. But this is the way it reads. You crown the year with a bountiful harvest. Even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. Let's read a couple more. I'm going to come back to that. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. Now ESV is on to something. It's on to the right translation because in the culture of ancient Israel or the ancient Middle East, the wagon tracks or the footpaths were places that nothing ever grew because it was packed down. You remember when Jesus told the parable of the seeds? He said there was seed that's, that was sown on the pathway and the, the soil was so packed down the seed had no depth and it might spring up but it didn't last long because it had no depth. And NIV has the same idea. You crown the year with your bounty, your carts overflow with abundance. But go back to the New Living Translation. Even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. Now think about that for just a moment. What the psalmist is saying is this. He says, Lord, you are crowning the year with your bounty and even places that usually bear no fruit are going to overflow with fruitfulness. Even places that have been too tough to sustain blessing or the promise of fruitfulness will overflow with abundance. Now, loved ones, I'm not trying to be a name it and claim it, and I'm not trying to be a, a, a prophet of wealth and prosperity, but I do believe that the Lord has spoken to us this. If we will walk down this path, we've spent a year learning to stand, and if we will learn the lessons of this new year, what we're going to find is that places we have previously given up because it was too hard. Areas of our life that we have usually written off because there's never been any fruitfulness shown in that area of our life. This will be the year that even the hard pathways, the wagon tracks, the land that is pressed down will see God do something phenomenal if we'll hold steady and follow him. Now let me talk to you about the burden of the Lord um, there, are, there are six things that the Lord has impressed upon me over the past few months. 2020 is going to be a year of building. Now, um, we, we, you say, well, building, that sounds like work. Yeah, but building also represents favor and blessing. Let me explain to you about this building, though. It's going to be a year not of rebuilding what God has torn down. I want to tell you, the Church of Jesus Christ, and ours included, spent about a decade where the emphasis was on repentance. Repentance. If my people who were called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will bless their land. We've had about a decade of repentance following, uh, followed by about three years of severe testing uh, followed at least three years of God seemingly shaking everything that could be shaking. And when we think of building, we think we're going to reach down and pick up what God has shaken and put it back in place. But loved ones, hear me. This is not a year of putting the old stones back in place. This is a year of rebuking uh, past trends. It's a year of rebuking the mistakes that we've made by building improperly in the past. And God is saying, I'm going to give you new stones. I'm going to lay a new foundation. So when we say it's going to be a year of building, it's in your notes here. It's first of all going to be a year of rebuking. See, we're, we're desperately trying to go back and build with what God has torn down. And we even say, well, if I don't do that, I'll do better. We're like Israel when they had been ransacked. It's the focus of Jonathan Kahn's book, The Harbinger. Well, we built with this, but we won't be stopped. We'll rebuild with more of the same, only it'll be bigger and better and stronger. Can I tell you there's a reason God ripped that stuff out of your life? Can I tell you there's a reason he tore those trees down? So we will begin, some of you have already begun, God is telling you to separate yourself from your old building material. 
God is telling you that he's going to build with new stones. We rebuke old systems. We replace it with a new system. And what we understand is that we rebuild with a new foundation. I don't mean it's necessarily a, a huge lifestyle, but we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. You know, when we, when we uh, uh, did the parking lot up at Brown Chapel, oh, has anybody told you that that parking lot is paid off? Okay. Just, I just wanted you to know that. Um, when, we, when we redid the parking lot up there, we estimated, uh, oh, I don't remember. It seems like it was either a little over, a little under $100,000. It turned into a much bigger project. Um, and I told you about that. I, our total project went from 200 and something thousand to almost 400,000 uh, because when we got into it, we realized we can no longer patch. We can no longer just prop up. And if you remember when we dealt with the parking lot up at Brown Chapel, there was a period of several days, the whole parking lot was taken away and it looked like a smooth plowed field. It was ready for the new material. It was ready for the new covering. I remember looking out there and say, you know, this just looks like a field ready for corn. I hate to cover it with asphalt. It just looks, I mean, I'd never seen it like that. It was smooth. It was level. But what we had to understand and what the, the, the company that did the parking lot helped us understand, we've got to take everything that you parked on for 20-something years and we've got to take it away, or 30 years roughly, we've got to take it away. It's not fit anymore. It's lost its viability. And we can pack it, we can, we can cover it, we can paint it and make it look pretty. But in six months, you're going to start seeing the same holes. You're going to start seeing the same problems. Loved ones, that is a picture of where we are in our lives. God has spent two years taking away from us, shaking everything that can be shaken. And our, if we're not careful at the first at the first breath of life, we're going to go out and pick up the old gravel. We're going to go pick up the old material and we're going to lovingly put it back in place, not understanding that we have to make the foundation different. We have to rebuild with something else. And yes, it's more expensive. And yes, it takes more time. And yes, it can be down, uh, disheartening to see what you wanted to fix ripped up. I, I know what it's like. Some of us over the past two years have said, Lord, I prayed for this. I prayed for this. I prayed for this. And what have you done? You've ripped it to pieces. I don't like you. I'm mad at you. Do you know what he's doing? He's saying, you're building with the wrong stuff. This has got to be taken away. You're going to have what I spoke to your heart. Your destiny is going to be fulfilled. But I want to tell you, I got to get rid of all of this false foundation first. We all have a tendency, Paul said to the Corinthians, to build either using wood, hay, and stubble or gold, silver, and precious stones. And loved ones, Christians, all of us, are exquisitely adept, uh, adept at building with wood, hay, and stubble. But we don't understand how quickly it burns. We don't understand how quickly it disintegrates when the judging hand of God comes against it. And it's not God judging you saying, Justin, your life screwed up. I don't like this. I'm going to punish you. It's God saying, Justin, I'm giving you a new foundation I'm giving you something that'll last. If you do it your way, Justin, you'll have great parking for six months. But if you do it my way, you can park for decades. Oh, there'll be adjustments. There'll be some covering. There'll be some restriping. But the foundation will stand sure. Okay, now that's the first thing. It's going to be a year of building, but you've got to understand there's some things you've got to rebuke. There's some things you've got to replace and you've got to let it be building by the hand of God. Number two, the Lord put in my heart, whether you are pushing or pushing back, you will see victory. What the Lord was saying to me is there will, this is not going to be a year without conflict. But he said for the last couple of years, my people have felt that they were being pushed you know, it's, it's like a, it's, it's, it's like a, um, 
350-pound offensive tackle keeping out a 200-pound uh, safety trying to blitz. He just, he just pretty well pushes them wherever he wants to send them. But the Lord is saying this, there are going to be days that you are pushing. There are days that you are advancing. And there are days that you feel you're being overwhelmed by the enemy, but you must learn to push back. And he says, whether you're on the offensive and have the momentum behind you, or whether you're struggling to survive, pushing back, I am going to give you victory. Number three, it's going to be a season of continuance and pursuit. Um, in other words, I, I wish I had time to deal with this, but, and we'll get to it as we work through the year. But um, he, he says this, basically, you, this will not be a year where you just sit back and watch God work, but you will continue to do what you've been doing, but the outcome will begin to change. And he showed me an, a vision of a man that stepped onto a railroad track back in the old west. And here comes a steam locomotive with a, with a uh, fully loaded train behind it. And this man steps out onto the track and he holds his hand up and he says, stop, stop in the name of Jesus. And the train keeps coming. And instead of killing the man, now this, only, this, can, this can only happen in dreams. Don't do this literally. But the man stepped out and he was saying, stop in the name of Jesus. And he put his hands up and the train collided with him. And the man was saying, I command you in the name of Jesus to stop. And he's being pushed back at a high rate of speed, commanding in the name of Jesus for this thing to stop. And I thought he lost this one. He didn't hear the word of the Lord. You know, it says something's not right. But I noticed that the train began to slow and it began to be obstructed in its going forward. The wheels of the train began to spin and cause sparks to fly while the man just held his hands against the train and said, in the name of Jesus, stop. And eventually the train began to move back the other way as the man pushed it. As I saw that vision, I knew I had seen it before. And the Lord said, you remember where this was from, this vision you saw it for the first time. Do you remember when? And I, and I remember very well, it was over 30 years ago. There was a woman that in our church that was fighting um, cervical cancer. She had been given the worst possible diagnosis. She had been given X number of months at most to live. And they said, there's nothing we can do. You're going to die, set your house in order. And the Lord spoke to her and said, I'm going to be healed. The Lord spoke to her and, and said, you're going to survive this. And the Lord, at the same time he was telling her that, had given me a vision of this train. And, he, I, and I said to her, what we need to do. I, I, I said, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not into denying reality, but what we need to do is just stand against this. And it, what I think the Lord is telling us is we're going to get pushed way down the track before the train starts going backwards. And that's exactly what happened for two years. She outlived her, her a prognosis. But what happened is she kept going from bad to worse to worse to worse. We kept praying. And sure enough, we prayed the same way. And with the passing of time, that train began to slow. That train began to stop. And that train began to be pushed in a different direction. And she's alive and well today, 30 years later, fully recovered, fully healed. The power of God's upon her. We've got to understand that we are people of continuance and pursuit. We are not people. We want it to be. We, we want it so badly that we built a whole doctrine around it in the 70s and 80s. Just name what you want and believe it and it'll come to pass. And sometimes that happens. But friends, we've got to learn to keep striking the ground. We've got to learn to keep praying. Uh, we've had people even in this church teach that you don't ask for anything twice. That's just not believing God. I believe in the push method of prayer. Pray until something happens. It is not unbelief to pray twice. It's not unbelief to pray three times. It's not unbelief to pray for years unless God tells you that it's done and not to pray anymore 
But I want to tell you, even Jesus, when he touched the man that was blind, he says, what do you see? He said, I see men, but they're like trees walking. Jesus says, we can do better than that. And he prayed for him again. Loved ones, we have got to become a people of persistence and understanding, continuance and pursuit. Number four, I won't talk about this today, but it's time to bring the family back home. We have abandoned our family to the gay and lesbian agenda. We have abandoned uh, gender identity. And we have, we have abandoned all of that because there's never been a time in our society when there is such a pressure against the church to abandon our traditional positions. And I want to tell you, it's ugly. Um, those that came through the civil rights movement of the 60s have been told a lie that many have bought into. They said the fight for gay rights is the new civil rights movement. And loved ones, I want to tell you, those of you that came through the civil rights movement, do not dishonor that noble fight by associating it with the gay and lesbian agenda. Civil rights was a fight by people that had been done wrong to get equal treatment but the gay and lesbian agenda is not for equal rights. It's for preferential treatment. And we are against it. We're not a church saying we've done wrong. We need to do right. We are being told we don't have a right to have an opinion. <coughs> and what's happened is we have basically, we'd never give up on our children, but we circled the wagon and say we're outnumbered and it's just a matter of time till the bad guys pick us all off. But God is about to pour out something upon his people. God is about to pour out something upon our families. The Christian family, the biblical concept of a family is going to become beautiful again. We're going to see God move upon it again, but we've got to stop letting a twisted culture Set the agendas for our home. It's going to be a time, number five, of compounding and consequences and compounding consequences. And I, it took me a few days to wait in the presence of the Lord over what this meant, this idea of compounding and consequences. And I believe what the Lord was saying is how you live does make a difference. How you live does make a difference. And um, we've got to understand that every time we do something right, it's not just that it's a drop in a bucket, but God touches our right behavior and it exponentially grows and has effect and I want you to also know every time you visit a porn site, it's not just a moment of weakness. Exponentially, that invades your life. And, and barring the grace of God, you don't get set free from that. It's there and it lives there and it remains there. And it takes the almighty grace of God to get us past that. We need to understand that every wrong behavior is a big behavior. And every right behavior is a right behavior. And God says that everything that has been done in darkness will yield and produce greater, more profound darkness. And everything that's done for the light will produce a greater light. Things that we think don't make a difference to our children or things that we think don't make a difference in our community or in our workplace. We're about to see that God will take that little bit we've got and will shine the light on it. It's going to be a day like the woman who had a debt she couldn't pay. She was about to lose her children to slavery because she couldn't pay her debt. And the prophet said to her, go get every vessel you can find. We used to preach it in Pentecost. Bring your vessels, not a few. I don't know how many times my pastor in preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit would tell folks, come on folks, bring your vessels, not a few, bring them all. And what they found out is what that little bit of oil was that that lady had, God compounded it. God made it grow exponentially. And what you have may seem like little. What you have may seem like 30 years of laboring for almost nothing. But the day is upon us now when God will make the flow continue. The day is upon us now where every vessel we can find will be filled with the grace and the glory of God. 
<coughs> and number six, there will be an ending of fragmented messages. God has given us a lot of messages that have been hard to interpret because it's a difficult time to wait. Now, what you've got to understand is you're being brought to a time now where you can show that I've learned to wait. Well, pastor, if it's a time of fragmented messages being dealt with, maybe God wants to do it all right now. Well, he might, he might. But now's a chance to show off what you've learned. Now is a chance to say, I'm going to be like Mary who heard difficult things in the midst of profound promise. See, that's the mark of a great man or woman of God, or at least one of the marks of a great man or woman of God. They hear profound promises. Here Mary just gave birth to the Savior of the world. And she's told that it's going to be an incredibly difficult path. See, great men and women of God don't insist on all blessing. And great men and women of God don't wither at the thought of trouble. You say, well, how do you, I just can't understand two worlds. Well, you do what Mary did. You treasure them in your heart and you ponder them. Loved ones, we're going to enter a phase where more and more of what God speaks to us, we will know like never before that we're hearing from him but we may not understand it initially. So what we've got to do is take it, put it in our hearts, treasure it, and from time to time ponder what does this mean? And that'll be the path God takes us on. Now let me give you a few words and we're going to wrap it up. Um, Here's what I want you to understand. The value of your past will begin to be realized. This is, this is 2020 I'm talking about. The things you've been through will begin to be realized. Can I put it to you this way? What you've hated is about to become treasured. <laughs> First Kings 6, 7. In building the temple, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used. And no hammer, chisel, or any other iron tool was heard at the temple site while it was being built. See, when the temple was being built, God had these stones at different quarries in different places, and God knew what he was doing. God knew what he was putting together, and God said, cut it this way here. Can I tell you that quarry life stinks? Because it's nothing but sanding and cutting and sawing. But God knows that you're about to be brought to a holy site where you will fit in perfectly. See, let me tell you what we do. Justin, will you be a block? Just face the congregation. Justin's a block. I'm a block. This is what we do. Oh, hallelujah. I've arrived at my... I've arrived at my... This is my destiny. You're blocking me. Pastor, will you cut this off, please? Deacons, would you come over and trim this guy up? See, he's obviously not right. I can't fit in my spot. But you know what God is doing, and we don't even realize it? Long before Justin got to this quarry, long before I came down those steps in my quarry, God's been shaping him all over. God's been working in his life and God's been working in my life. And as I approach my destiny, it's not a conflict with me and Justin, not if I'm letting God do his work. What I find is that when I find my place, Justin and I stand side by side. We, we can lock together. But it's not because we're perfect fits. It's not because I got him straightened out when I got here. It's because way back here, God was sawing on me and cutting on me and and refining me. And God was doing the same thing in Justin's life. And that's why people change churches every six months. That's why people constantly have offenses that they have to deal with every year or so. That's why people are constantly unhappy about this, that, and the other. They, They don't understand that the cutting God wants to do over here is for a purpose. And... You left that quarry before you were done. You left that trial before you were done. (coughs) And the things that didn't get cut in your life, you move in, you try to fit into your destiny, 
and you don't fit and you want everybody else to be sawed on. You want every church to be sawed on. You want every pastor to be sawed on. You want everybody's political view to be sawed on and refined. And the fact of the matter is God's had you going through those tough places. You think it's because he's mad at you. You think it's because he wants to destroy you. But God understands that without the refining you've been going through, you don't fit in your destiny. And loved ones, the things that you have hated, the thing in people you have hated, the people you have hated is about to be treasured by you. You're going to understand that God is working not to trim them up, but to trim you up. The value of your past will begin to be realized. Number two, the Lord will restore and replace what you have lost or missed through the years. There's a principle, I preached on this a few months ago, and I'll be honest with you, I don't think anybody got it. I think it just shot right over our heads. And it's probably because I just didn't communicate it well. But in 1 Chronicles 26, 27, this is what the command was. From the spoil won in battles, they dedicated gifts for the maintenance of the house of the Lord. I want to take just a minute to try to explain this better. The spoils that Israel won in war was not for their trophy room. It was brought to the temple for temple maintenance. In other words, the victories that we win are not to make us feel aloof. They are to make us all come together. We used to sing a song. I don't know if we ever sang it here, but it was big in Pentecostal charismatic churches a few years ago. And I, if I were you, I wouldn't say amen right now at all. Because there's so many wrong places to say amen in what I'm about to say. Just play it safe. Take some good advice. Just, just listen. But we used to sing that song, I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. And I've seen folks dance and foam at the mouth and carry on and wave flags. I went to the enemy's camp and took back what he stole from me. And we had no idea that in many instances it was God taking that from us. You see, we think that when the enemy robs and kills and destroys, our goal is to get it back so that like toddlers, we can say, mine. Can I tell you that some of the things that have been stolen from me, I don't want back. Some of the things that I thought I couldn't live without, I found out I live better without. You see, it's one thing. Now, I know there's a principle of the Lord restored. But the teaching of scripture is not for me to go get it back. The teaching of scripture is that the Lord restores it. And if we're not careful, we'll take up the wrong battles. We'll embrace the wrong champion. We'll embrace the wrong battle plan. And we've got to understand that what we win in war, whether it's something that we recover, and I do think there are things to be recovered, our children and other things. But if we're not careful, we'll think that my goal is to go to the enemy's camp, take back what he stole from me so I can be fat, healthy, and we look like Jabba the Hutt in the spiritual realm. But what we need to understand is that the Lord will restore and replace what we have lost and missed, but it will be his restoration. It will be his decision. And the Lord's house will be enriched. If I go in the strength of the flesh and get back what was stolen from me, it could actually destroy me. But if I let the Lord bring back what the enemy stored, that's why he said in Joel, I will restore. I will restore. Or as the Hebrew says, I will restore. Or as the French says, I will restore. God says, it's my business to restore and don't enter. Because inevitably, when we think of, of songs like that, and we think of verses like that, and, and I know that, that the writer had a good intention. I'm not criticizing the writer. But inevitably, we tend to go to, I'm getting back everything this world has. I'm getting back all of my riches. I'm getting back every blessing that I ever had. And sometimes we need to understand that it's the Lord that takes away. A lot of things the devil takes away. He's the thief. He comes to kill and steal and destroy. But a lot of things God in his mercy takes away.
And we're about to learn that the Lord will restore and replace what you've lost or missed through the years. A lot of people have the testimony of pastor, I lose it and I go and get it back and I do fine and then I just lose it again. And you say, it's, sometimes it's this, sometimes it's that, sometimes it's the other. Have you ever thought that maybe the one common denominator in all these cycles of winning and losing is you? It may be you, it may be me. So we've got to let the Lord do the restoring. Well, it's obvious you don't like this one. Let's go on to number three and see if that'll help us. The Lord will equip you to recover and rebuild simultaneously and shame will lose its grip on you. Let me, let me explain this. Uh, Nehemiah 4, from that day on half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears and shields and bows and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. That does not seem like the most effective way to work. Tool in one hand, a weapon in the other. Each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked, but the men who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. In other words, there's a lot of things that we could talk about, the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. But he said the men who rebuilt the wall understood this. There has to be a balance in their life of work and of warfare. There has to be a balance of the spiritual things. So what I'm telling you is that God says in 2020, you will value your struggles. You will restore the walls that have been broken down, but you'll replace it with new material, not the old. And you will recover and rebuild at the same time. And the shame will be lost. Now let me say this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to leave some of this out. The challenge will be great, but so will the reward. This is going to be a year of some of the greatest challenges. But let me tell you something, your, your, your tendency will be to see the challenge and then wilt. But I'm telling you, God is so committed to this process, no sooner than you wilt will you feel the grace and anointing of God lift you back up to fight the battle. You'll be like the servant of Elisha who said, we are surrounded by the enemy. We're outgunned thousands to one. And no sooner will you begin to wilt than you will hear the voice of the Spirit say, Lord, open his eyes that he can see the ones that are with us are more than the ones that are against us. The challenge will be great, but so will the reward. And I want to tell you that much will be required. You're going to win battles you never thought you'd won. You're going to sense on one hand that it is the supernatural power of God at work, but you're going to sense on the other hand that this is the toughest battle I've ever been in. I want to say one more thing and I want to say it carefully. Don't, don't worry about the outline. I don't have to cover all of that today. False prophets who deliver a message of ease and unconditional blessing will be brought down, but not before rising with new prominence and arrogance. I read, and this isn't in your notes, but just jot the scripture down. 1 Kings 22, Jehoshaphat, the godly king of Judah, somehow got it in his mind that he wanted to go to war in alliance against someone with Ahab of Israel. Jehoshaphat and Ahab, two kings never more different than those two kings. And Jehoshaphat said, well, I don't want to go without the blessing of the Lord. And Ahab called in 400 prophets who all prophesied, God is with you. Go fight this battle. One of them named Zedekiah made horns of iron and he put them on his head and went around like an animal with the horns. And he says, thus says the Lord, just as an animal with iron horns will defeat all before him, you Ahab and you Jehoshaphat will defeat all before you. 400 prophets, yes, it's going to be the best days of your life. Yes, God's not going to judge any of you. You're his people. You're his favorites. And 400 prophets, one by one, utter. And Jehoshaphat, who shouldn't have been there, he says, do you have a prophet that is recognized in Judah? Do you have a prophet of the Lord that we know is of the Lord that I can listen to? And listen to Ahab. Ahab says, well, there's one named Micaiah, but I don't usually call on him because all he does is prophesy trouble. And I get depressed when he prophesies. So I just, I've, I've unsubscribed. And Jehoshaphat said, well, I need to hear another prophet. So Micaiah comes and 
the other prophets say the king needs some good news. Give him good news. And Micaiah sarcastically says, oh yeah, go and do what these guys are telling you. The Lord's going to be with you. And Ahab knew that that was a lie. Jehoshaphat obviously knew it was a lie. And he said, tell me the truth now. And Micaiah finally says, you will never come home if you go into this battle. I see the sheep of Israel scattered on the hills as sheep without a shepherd, and you will not come home. He is struck by Zedekiah. And Zedekiah says this, when did the spirit of the Lord pass from me to you? Loved ones, I'm going to tell you, you need to put up a guard in regard to the prophetic movement in the church of Jesus Christ right now. Because I'm telling you, it's not popular. I don't know of any other people, well, I'll take it back. I do know of a, of a few that are saying this. But this is the age of Zedekiah. This is the age that says if it's not positive and reaffirming, it's not from the Lord. And Micaiah was beaten down by the prophet saying, when did the spirit of the Lord pass from me to you? But I want to tell you something. There's about to be a great persecution unleashed against the true prophetic voice. And there's going to be what appears to be a rising of the false prophetic voice. Anyone with a word of warning from the Lord will be castigated and laughed at even by people that right now are on our high list of prophetic accuracy. But for those prophetic voices that will hold steady, God is going to use them and pour out the oils of revival through them. But it's going to be a tough path for the next couple of years. Now in your outline there, you have 10 foundational stones to build upon. Let me, let me summarize that in 60 seconds. Building godly generations, God has given me 10 key concepts. They are found in the 10 commandments. The 10 commandments are more than just something we teach our children in Sunday school. The 10 commandments are 10 principles and precepts that revolutionize a family, a life, and a nation. And, and in beginning in February for 10 months, we're going to deal with those concepts. Now, don't get me wrong. We're not going to preach 50 messages on the 10 commandments. But there is going to be a message every month about that key word. Some months may have a couple of messages. Some months may have three messages on that word. Other months may just have one message. It's not that we're on the Ten Commandments for the next year, but we're, but we're going to spread it out over a ten-month period, and we're going to understand these key principles. And that's where we're going. That's all I need to say about that today. Now, what are the Christian life lessons? They're pretty obvious. Shake off a spirit of passivity. You are no longer a victim. Stop fighting your spiritual battles with a hidden agenda of getting even. God will never bless an agenda of getting your pound of flesh. God will never bless an agenda of, well, I'll teach the white man or I'll teach the black man or I'll teach the socialists or I'll teach the Republicans. The moment you bring your vindictiveness into your agenda, you invite the Holy Spirit to go out the door. So shake off a spirit of passivity, stop being a victim and let's go with the grace of God that's upon us. Fight the right battles. Number two, God will fight for you. God will fight for you. You know, when I was growing up, I learned a lesson that I, it, 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 it only took me about 40, 45 years to grasp. My daddy sat me down when I started the sixth grade and gave me a savings passbook for mutual federal savings and loans. And he gave me a dollar. He said, son, I'm going to help you. He says, every bit of money you put into this account, I will match. He said, I know you're not thinking about it now, but the day will come when you want a car. And everything you save, we will put toward a car and I will match it. I didn't realize how gracious that was. I didn't realize what a risk my daddy was taking. I mean, what if I turned to selling drugs and put thousands of dollars, you know, in elementary school, you know. Well, I tell you what, I, I, every week I put whatever I had, well, I don't mean all of it, but 
whatever I had, I put in there. You take it, you took, I remember it, you put it in the passbook, you took it to school on Tuesday, you put it in the box, they took it to Mutual Federal, they deposited it, bring your book back to you. And I want to tell you, there were days I wanted to spend that money on Johnny Quest. There were days I needed that money. When they raised the rainbow snow cones from 10 cent to 15 cent, my economic structure was shaken. <laughs> I imagine probably 12, 15 times I made an appeal to my mom and dad, sat down at the table, fourth grade. I need to withdraw some money. Why? Well, I explained the reason. And at first they were at least nice about it. But then later it was just, they'd hear me out and say, request denied. But when I turned 16, and I know this doesn't sound like a lot of money, but you got to remember this was back in the day when our money was real. Uh, 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 the, the price tag on a new Volkswagen Beetle, which was what I wanted, was $16.99. I mean, on a new one. And so I just put this money in, I put this money in, and I had saved a little over $600 through those years. That may not sound like much to you, but that was, that was, ended up being a pretty significant amount of money. The week before I turned 16, my dad, I'd long since, you know, passed the time taking it to school. But my dad brought it out to me and he said, you got 600 and something dollars. And I knew I probably could get a, maybe a half-hearted used car with that. I'd been, I'd been shopping and you could get a good, good used Beetle for $1,200. My daddy gave me my book, I looked $600. And my dad reached into his pocket, pulled out a wad of money, enough money to burn a wet mule. And he started counting. He matched it, reached in his other pocket, pulled out the change. He matched it penny for penny. And he said, I found a car in good shape that you can buy for this amount and have enough money for a month of gas left over. We went and got it. It was my first car, Chariot of the Gods. And loved ones, please listen to me. Some of you have complained and griped about requests denied. Some of you have complained and, 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 and fussed about, quote, unanswered prayer. You've been hostile, you've been angry, but God is about to sit down with you at the table. I don't know what it'll look like. And I don't know that everything will happen right away. But I tell you, God has shown me in my spirit that day my daddy sat down with me and said, every sacrifice you made is now going to start paying off. It's now going to start paying off. And what happens when you walk this path, God can begin to trust you. God will fight for you. You'll fight for yourself and your family and you'll learn to fight for each other. But let me just ask you this question because we have to go. In Pentecostal and charismatic circles, we've been real big on deliverance. We've been real big on encounters, and we ought to be. We ought to remember that our bread and butter is meeting God in the altar. I believe that. But I want to tell you something. I was at a meeting of a, a group that I'm a part of, of, the sons of a great man of God. And it was years ago, I sat there and I listened and I listened. I wasn't invited to speak and I listened. But I, I just, about two days into it, I just began to, to weep. And the father of the house said, said, Stephen, what's wrong? I, I said, I don't want to say. He said, is God speaking to you? I said, yes, but I don't want to say. And finally he says, what is God saying to you? I said, the majority of these men, this is what God has shown me. They have had encounters and they think they're free, but all they've done is moved into a bigger cell. And the rest of the story is probably, I don't have permission to share, but loved ones, God is wanting you to know it's not enough to just keep moving to bigger cells. 
It's not enough to just get a little more freedom, then a little more freedom and a little more freedom. He wants you to walk out of your cell. He wants you to walk out of your cell. This is the year of being set free. This is the year of exiting when you thought you were further away from liberty than you've ever been in your life. God said, don't go to a bigger cell. Get out of all of the cells. I love the words to that song. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I rose, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart set free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Loved ones, I don't mean to be critical, but God has shown this. I've wept over this more times than I can remember. You have been deceived by the enemy. His method has been to give you a better cell. His, his method has been to give you a kinder set of circumstances. But you're still living life by his rules. You're still trying to build your life with old stones that God has ripped down. But let me tell you what God wants to do. He wants to tell you, you don't have to move next door to a better cell. You can leave the prison. You can leave the prison. For some of you, it will be accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's the very first step. But there are others, there are others that all you've had is day passes or halfway houses or better cells, but you keep falling back into the same old shackles again. This is the year God says, I want you to leave the house. I want you to leave the house of bondage. I want you to forgive. I want you to forget. I want you to leave the offenses. I want you to drop the charges. You know, the reason a lot of people can't leave the cell is they want to carry everything they've accumulated with them. Let it go. Let it go. Don't even stop for a change of underwear. Just let it go. Everything you need is out there. Well, Justin's failed you today. He was supposed to stop me when I ran out of time, but Lord, keep cutting on him. Just keep cutting on him. You know I'm teasing, but would you stand with me? God will bring you to a table where you have to make a decision to go this way or that way or to believe this or believe that, to change this thought or change that thought. But I can tell you, I can give you a sign of trouble. Whenever it's begun with, yeah, but, yeah, but, but what about, but what about, yeah, but. Guys, the gate's open. Run. 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 I'll know that we are beginning days of awakening when we come to this part of the service and people start running to the altar. I, I, I tell you what, it's a, it's a sign of cold-heartedness when a pastor has to beg people to come to the altar. I, I, again, I'm not trying to pick a fight, but some of you have been in this church for 20 years. You've never been to an altar. Some of you, some of you never have had the concept of this is about me being shaped. But God's about to open your eyes. You're about to see something so beautiful. You're going to see the Christian walk as you've never seen it before. That's what God's promising for 2020. I'm building godly generations. Father, as we go today, some will come this way. Some need to go. There's no judgment on which way they go. But I'm asking you as we enter this new year, Open our eyes. Open our eyes. Father, I can't talk people into this. I, you weren't, or people weren't able to talk me into this. It takes the opening of our eyes by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, will you come and will you fill us? Will you fill us? Will you open our eyes? Will you open our ears? 
Will you change our disposition? Lord, right now, some of us are holding old stones in our hand that we're ready to start the new year. We're going to make resolutions and start rebuilding, but it's with the same old junk that's kept us in trouble all these years. We throw our stones down and we wait for new material. We wait for new material in Jesus' name. Loved ones, ministry teams are coming to the front. They'll be here now. If you want to give your heart to Jesus, come to one of the ministry teams. If you need prayer for healing or something like that, please come to the ministry teams. But there are others of you that your prayer basically is this, Lord, open my eyes. I, want, I don't want a better cell. I don't want a better cell. I want to be free. I, I don't want to be more comfortable in my imprisonment. I want to be free. I want to be free. I don't want rights restored to me in Egypt. I want to leave Egypt. I want to leave Egypt. While Pastor Glenn just begins to fill the house, he and his team with worship and praise, let this be a meeting of us with the Holy Spirit. Would you just come and just fill the altars? Stay as long as you can and just say, Lord, open my eyes, open my heart, open my mind, open my ears. Give me a new perspective on life. Guys, I love you so much. Happy New Year and let it be the year you've dreamed of all of your life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.